Dear members of the Racing Through Time community, nothing is more important to us than the well-being of you nostalgic NASCAR gearheads. In light of increasing concerns regarding the COVID-19 novel coronavirus we wish to share the additional steps we are taking to ensure RT2 remains a safe hygienic place for you to partake in your daily Hell and Ray specials. Housekeeping is using a lethal dose of poison to kill viruses and is approved by Ken Squire to kill COVID-19. Order your cleaning poison by contacting us through our Facebook page. With every order, Bob Jenkins will personally give you a call and bring inspiring words to your very own living room. We rely on the guidance of the CDC in our quest to leave no man, virus, or gearbox unpenetrated, except for Bill Elliott. There's even some things we won't touch. Our policies will evolve as public health experts and Dale Earnhardt fans understand more about the virus. Our top priority is the health and safety of our listeners and their rusty wagon wheels. We will update our plans as the situation continues to develop. Remember to practice proper social distancing techniques and to pray to our racing gods, Tim Richmond and Dale Earnhardt every hour at your nearest Waffle House location. And welcome to another edition of the Apocalypse version of Racing Through Time. Ricky Wittenberg along with Andy Waddell and Andy... Um, look, it's been a minute since we've done our last <laughs> podcast and a few things have changed in, in the world and, uh, you know, we just gave our disclaimer, so... What uh, what do you what's going on in Andy Waddell's world besides the social distancing? Oh man, it's over, dude! It's over. They shut down the Waffle Houses. All this happened because you wouldn't let Daryl say "boogity boogity boogity America." Yeah, you get rid of Daryl Waltrip, and it just all breaks all down to hell. Society get- breaks down, the whole world breaks down, and then we get killed off by a light beer. <laughs> Not even a good one either. Kind of one of the crappy ones from an import, but and there is no. Um, you know, humor lost on the fact that it's an import beer from Mexico that's taken us out. Uh, <laughs> of course, but everything that comes from Mexico is made in China, too. So, yeah, uh, that's true. All right. So, well, I'm not exactly sure where even to start. We uh, we we just got done with the Pocono race, if you're listening in order. But that's been a minute or two since we've done that race. And um, we will be headed to the Michigan race, Andy. It'll be Richard Petty's 1,000th career start. Yeah, and they give an awesome statistic. Think about this. Even up to this point, and he hadn't won in, what, two or three years, he has... Yeah, 1984. Yeah, you know, he's won one-fifth of every race he started. That's, that's crazy. I yeah. don't care if he did have better equipment. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, the law of averages eventually just catches up, and one-fifth of every race, that's pretty sporty. Yes, sporty like the spice, which was a better import. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that all day long over this uh, Corona nonsense. All right, so when we left you at Pocono, we had the the a couple of things that happened. We had the rain at Pocono, which was a problem, and then we had the weird crash at the end, um, if you remember correctly. So we are going to read one article this week that uh, kind of stood out. From the Charlotte Observer, Tom Higgins writes an article about safety wasn't first with the NASCAR at Pocono. The storm that swept across the Pocono Mountains near Long Pond, Pennsylvania Sunday was a vicious one laced with lightning and a deluge of rain. But incredibly, at Pocono International Raceway, the Winston Cup Series cars continued to roll. 
They were kept going in the Miller 500 callously. Some are contending under a yellow flag at the insistence of the NASCAR officials. The bad weather hit on the 96th of 200 laps at the 2.5 mile triangular track. Under NASCAR rules, a race is official when it reaches halfway. Should inclement conditions or some other situation force a halt short of the scheduled distance. Sure enough, as soon as 100 laps were completed, out came the red flag stopping the field. This has made several pit crew members who experienced a frightening near miss in the lightning, and some drivers see more red than the flag. They feel that they were placed at an undue risk so the race could be squeezed in and return instead of having to return and complete it on Monday. As it turns out, the storm passed, the skies cleared after a two and a half hour delay and the remaining 250 miles were run with Tim Richmond winning. However, disillusionment remained among many competitors Monday and Tuesday. In great part, the sensitivity can be traced to the standards for safety that NASCAR has set in motorsports. But Sunday, there was a breakdown in usually reliable judgment, and all the NASCAR hierarchy must share in it for all with the responsibility in the area of competition were at Pocono Raceway. The rain pounded down, the track's racing service, essentially flat, quickly resembled a creek as rainfall collected. Cars splashed water heavily to either side. It was impossible to see from inside the cars, said Kyle Petty. The windshields were covered with rain on the outside and fogged on the inside. And you've got to remember that our race cars have neither windshield wipers or defoggers. One after another, all of us started letting the safety nets in our driver's side window down and leaning way out to sea so we could see. Even so, the rain was so heavy I couldn't make out the car in front of me. I guided my car by keeping parallel to the edge of the track, which I could see. It was bad. For safety's sake, they should have showed the red flag earlier. Driver Dave Marcus complained strongly that the stoppage didn't come sooner, citing a lack of visibility. A NASCAR official told me that I should have dropped the window net and leaned out, said Marcus. What happens if I spin into the wall while I'm leaning out? While running under the yellow during a shower in the Miller 400 at Richmond, Dale Earnhardt leaned out the window to clean his windshield and drew a warning from the NASCAR officials who said that was unsafe. This is called inconsistency. Two drivers, Bobby Allison and J.D. McDuffie, realized Marcus's fear and spun into the wall during the yellow flag period. Although the pace car had been ordered to slow from its normal 75 to 25 miles an hour. However, the tires used in NASCAR have no tread and their traction is negligible. As uncomfortable as the situation was for the drivers, it was worse for the pit crews, most who loyally stayed at their stations. They were exposed to lightning, a bolt which hit near the start-finish line, injuring a 14-year-old spectator. That same shot knocked umbrellas from the hands of Tim Brewer, crew chief for Neil Bonnet, and Jimmy Maycar, a crewman on Rusty Wallace's team. I'm still shaken by it, Maycar said on Tuesday. I felt quite a shock, and I'm told Tim did too. Brewer couldn't be reached. 
I'm a bit disappointed that NASCAR in, in this particular situation didn't show more consideration for us. I know that it's important to get a race in if possible, but not at this kind of risk. Ironically, and perhaps the most danger was longtime NASCAR flagman Harold Kinder, who had to stay on a metal perch while lightning sizzled all around him. Chip Williams, director of NASCAR's news bureau, had this explanation of the developments near the midway point. It's policy if there's any way to decide the winner on race day, we do it in fairness to the fans who might not be able to return a day later. We want them to leave the track knowing who won. Since the race was only five laps from halfway and there were no assurances about what the weather would do, it was felt that the most satisfactory thing was to go ahead and make it official. That feeling in the tower was there wasn't a danger and problems there. Again, this isn't consistent. Just a couple of years ago, NASCAR red flagged a race at Martinsville to a stop only two laps short of halfway in a far less violent conditions that existed on Sunday. As happy as I am about winning, I'll admit I was concerned what NASCAR did during the storm, Richmond said in the Victor's post-race press conference. We've got to put faith in the call, so hopefully this was an aberration. I'd say the safety factor maybe wasn't fully taken into consideration this time. In this instance, it is indeed appears that NASCAR uncharacteristically safety became a second to convenience. Andy, we knew that it was bad, but they kind of, in the broadcast we watched, they broke it up. We knew Bobby Allison spun out. We knew that it looked like the track was just uh, basically a, a lake. But, I mean, lightning hit near start-finish line enough to blow umbrellas out of pit crew's hands on pit road. That's pretty hardcore. See, that's the visual we need. But this article right here, it proves the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yes, they have improved the safety up until now, up until now and made it better in that aspect. But on the flip side, can you imagine any driver talking that boldly about NASCAR like they are in this article? Not not really. I mean, they were, Dave Marcus was definitely, and, and he has a good point. So you want me to lean out of the car because I can't see driving it with a car that has, you know, racing slicks. Even if I'm only going 25 or 30 miles an hour, you spin into a concrete wall hanging out the car. I don't think the outcome would have been good. Yes. And as a poor redneck, I have drove with bald tires in the rain. It is not fun. No, no more Helen Ray specials for Dave Marcus. No, not after that. Man, I I don't know. It just, I didn't, I, I knew the it was a bad rainstorm. I just had no idea that it was that bad. I mean, lightning basically hitting the start finish line. They're trying to kill the flag. Yeah. Where's the video of that? <laughs> yeah. We want to see the, I'd like to see the uncovered video of that. They probably took that. Oh, that's why they took it out. You see lightning hit start finish line with the guy still standing there on the flag stand. Destroy like, the master uh, tape. Yeah. The, good thing this one was tape delayed. We're just going to slide that one on out of here. And um, also as a side piece to this article, we learned that Harry Gant suffered a bruised heart and lungs in that crash. And, uh, I mean, he's a prominent player coming up here at Michigan. My God. I mean, that was a big hit, but to bruise your heart and to race seven days later at a track that's even faster. Yeah. And during the broadcast, you'll hear him say that they actually had to reinflate one of his lungs. I mean, yeah, he had collapsed. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. He collapses a lung. So 
Harry Gant, you could say what you want to about. And I know the drivers now are tough to a point and safety is important. But when you hear stories like this and when you hear stories like uh, Bobby Mm -hmm. Allison had a broken leg once, I think it was his leg, that he had to, they had to remove the roof of the car. They had to put him in the car with him already in the seat. They had to pick him up, drop the seat in the car, and then bolt it back in. Well, yeah, that you got to remember, uh, Big E when he was racing at Watkins Glen, you know, with the broke sternum, and yeah, the they week after Talladega, yeah, they strapped him in, and his chest. They said you can watch it move. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, that just, is the one thing I will give them about the. I'm not a big fan of the point system that they've got now, but at least if a driver's hurt, he doesn't have to do this just to try and keep up. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Newman, yeah. even if they wouldn't have had all this, I don't know when he would have came back. But he has this vicious crash at Daytona that could have killed him, and he's out a few races. But he's still technically he'd still be able to get into the playoffs if he wins a race. So you're not trying to rush somebody back too fast. Yeah, exactly, and especially with what we know about the body and the CTE and the concussions and all that, it's probably a good thing. Yeah. Um, So that was the one article that really stuck 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 out. We, uh, we also had, I had an article, I don't know, Bobby, it was a quote from Bobby Allison. He said that, um, his rudders didn't engage correctly. Well, that's why he crashed. <laughs> so uh, he was not happy though, um, that he wrecked cause he had a fairly good car at Pocono before he wrecks in the rain. So we will move straight on into the Michigan race. It is Richard Petty's 1000th career start. And that's kind of the, I mean, they really build the whole broadcast around, around that fact. I mean, the whole throughout the race that you've got drivers giving their thoughts about Richard Petty. You have a pretty long piece about Richard Petty in the race. It's, I mean, they, it's kind of like a Richard Petty tribute. Yeah. And they, they had a lot of driver profiles back then that you don't see nowadays. Yeah, as we'll much. Ta- I'll talk about that. Cause there's a couple that's just, it's just weird with this kind of race, how they stick them in there. Um, it was just a strange, distraction maybe yes i mean you know usually if a race is bad or they're under red flag you know you'll go to a profile but you know in the middle of a good race let's do a five minute piece on daryl walter i love daryl walter yeah he was my favorite driver but i was even mad i'm like i want to watch the race (laughs) why are we doing this yeah i actually actually liked the clip it just wasn't made to be here it was made to be in a rain delay caution red flag something like that something all right so we um we start the race with a pretty cool intro package. There's some synth music, techno music. Journey, baby. Yeah, yeah I mean it wasn't it was NASCAR wasn't all country back then. It was they had some a little bit of synth going on here in nineteen eighty six. Well you gotta remember they were up north, so I Yeah, mean, they were in Pocono. Oh, they're no, not, they're in Michigan. Yeah, Michigan, they're not exactly Yankees, but eh. Yeah, you're kinda of flirting with it. Yeah. So it had rained earlier in the day, which in Michigan is just about every day, if it's a NASCAR race weekend in June. Uh, 67 degrees, partly cloudy. There was record attendance to see Petty's 1000th race. Thank God. We actually have some good announcers in the booth. Ken Squire is long alongside Ned Jarrett. So at least we won't, well, I'm going to, but uh, normally you wouldn't make fun of the announcing with, with uh, two guys <laughs> like this. There's going to be one part in this race. That's just, we'll get to it. Well, you got to figure, I mean, every, even the best have a moment. 
<laughs> we'll just leave it at that for the time being. <laughs> they they had a, they definitely had a moment. Um, Tim Richmond beats the track record by six and one half miles an hour, and uh, the track we find out had just been paved, which makes a whole lot more sense on how you can beat a track record by six and a half miles an hour. So we have the Mexican speed wrench, Chris Economaki on pit road. Who's going to give us the, uh, him and Mike Joy are both going to be on pit road for the day. And there's something about him that I, I know he comes up with some weird things that you couldn't say nowadays, but he does give the viewer a good explanation about what this means about the tire. What does the blister mean? What temperatures do we go about all this? He explains it in layman's terms to where everybody can understand it and see, okay, I know what he's talking about now. So you're saying he's not like the guy from the Atlanta race who's just... Oh, dear Lord, no. <laughs> who was just there to pick up his paycheck because they told him to go to Atlanta. Yeah, he was probably some other sport dude that just... Uh, NASCAR? Okay, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, they have tires. They turn. Yeah, I... <laughs> Oh, I won't say that on this broadcast. I don't think the person would listen, but there was somebody that let's just say this, that, um, I was acquainted with and they were not a sports fan, but they had to cover sports. And, uh, the, in the immortal words of this person, you know, I do enjoy a good game of, uh, of polo though. <laughs> I'm like, what? what? <laughs> so not you'll have to explain that one to me later. Uh, no, the not a sports fan, except they, they were a fan of polo. And that's all you'd need to know about this person. Um, we see the Rick Baldwin crash that ultimately ended his life. You know, I mean, I don't like watching fatalities. That crash didn't look that bad. A lot of times they don't, you know, I know anymore when you see him hit the wall head on, what we know, but he did, he did tank slap at driver's side. The only thing that I could think of without really digging into it is he must have literally hit his head against the concrete wall or he hit his head against the window net. Well, a little behind the scenes, me and Ricky, when we do these shows, we watch it separate. We rank it separate. We come up with our own things. And my identical thing was it didn't look that bad. Okay. Yeah. The hit just didn't look that bad, but like you say, I mean, with, no safer barriers, no Hans devices, the old style cars. They're right up against the door, you know? So, I mean, they're inches away from yeah. the wall if they hit that side. I mean, I, I, I guess he must you have know. hit his, or it's just severe whiplash. I mean, it, you know, his head jerks that hard when you hit Well, yeah, it's like, you think it's not a big deal, but if you're back in the wall going one fifty, it's still yeah. a big, big, big shot. And like the drivers will tell you, you know, the ones that look bad are the ones they can walk away from. The ones that don't look like nothing is the ones that hurts them. Yeah. The ones where you barrel roll, you dissipate energy. That's what I mean. You learn that it's like, it's good to see them roll because it's breaking up the energy and it's not all with one shot. But, um, so we have that. We have Chris Economaki on pit road with Tim Richmond, who says it's going to be easier to run because the track is tackier than it used to be. But he was worried about blistering tires. And that was a, Kind of a theme throughout the race. And I also noticed that they made Mike Joy wear a yellow shirt for caution. For caution. <laughs> uh, Harry Gant was interviewed after his big crash at Pocono. I mean, he just, for he's like the ultimate cool guy. Like, you, you don't think of him being like a, a backwoods guy from Taylorsville, North Carolina. But it's like that's one of these guys you just see that don't get rattled. They make you feel good when you hear them talk. Yeah, if you're stuck somewhere, say a tornado or a biker gang, or you know you're in some kind of trouble, this is the person you want with you because it's like, well, 
All we gotta do is go over here. If we're quarantined mm-hmm. in a pandemic, we'd we'd be. We, I would feel better if I had Harry Gant sitting here in the house. Yes, if Harry Gant <laughs> was given the daily briefings right now, the entire world would calm down for a second and be like, "All right, we're going to make it." No doubt about that. So we did say that um, this was Patty's one thousandth race, and uh, thought the intro was pretty cool with Squires. So we'll play that clip to start us off. On this Father's Day, we are at Michigan International Speedway. More people are in attendance at this two-mile oval than ever in its 18-year history. The reason? This man. In a matter of minutes, this 28-year veteran, 200-time winner, will receive the command to fire his engine. In doing so, he moves to a new, possibly unreachable plateau in motorsports history. Today, CBS Sports is proud to bring you Richard Petty's 1,000th Grand National Winston Cup race. Well, if that don't set the the scene, what does? Anytime Ken Squire can go off into one of these little, whatever you call them, however he does this, you you know what I'm talking about. When Ken Squire... Yes, when he gives you a soliloquy, it paints a picture. He's like the Bob Ross of NASCAR. Yeah, he paints a happy Petty here and a happy Petty there. But... Seriously, when you hear it's the gravitas, maybe in his voice, you can tell it's serious. You're flipping through the channels in 1986, all seven or eight of them, and you land on CBS. Even if you don't know NASCAR, you hear him say that. You're like, I don't know exactly what's going on, but I think I'm going to watch this. Yeah, it sounds like this guy knows what he's talking about. And if he's making a big deal out of it, we maybe we need to see this. Yeah, maybe we need to see what is going on. So. We will get right into the uh, command to fire the engines because this one is a special one. In preparing for the start of this year's Miller American 400, you will hear the command for one man and one man only to start his engine. 20 seconds later, the rest of the field will receive the command to fire their engines. We trust that while this lone engine comes to life, you will join us all and show your appreciation for the man known to all of us as King Richard. For this historic 1,000th start, And in honor of Father's Day, it is only fitting that the command be given by his daughters, Rebecca, Sharon, and Lisa. Daddy, start your engine! That's pretty cool. Except I thought the dude said <laughs> when the when he the blown engine comes to life, but he said lone engine as you pointed out to me right there because I can't hear no better than you apparently. Well, can you imagine how nervous that engine builder had to be knowing oh, that Petty's the only one going to start, and this is his thousandth race, and if you screwed it up, oh dear lord! I mean, not trying to just dog it, but that's only the that was the only way he would have won the race. 
if he would have been the lone engine that started. <laughs> he wasn't that bad. He no, still yeah, had he, skills. Yeah, he still had. Yeah, he. Well, the bad the bad thing is that you know we had we had been pretty surprised with how good Petty had ran so far in '86 across the board, and this is the one race where he just kind of was just there. He wasn't really ever competitive. <laughs> no. But uh, that we know where Kyle gets the word "diddy" from because that's how his daughters all say "daddy" too. And apparently, they have a—they all have the same cadence and tone. It's oh yeah, they were definitely in sync. Yes, it, it's a, it must be a family thing. It must have been from his side. But the um, so the did you hear though the fans? My God, I mean, when we're watching the levels here on the computer to watch the the microphone levels, it but it jumped up. I mean, I didn't artificially inflate that that the fans was really rocking for petty yeah when i seen it coming up i was like wait a minute what's gonna happen here is they got static bad or what Mm -mm. but no it was was just just crowd roar yeah the crowd was just into it so uh, we have petty firing his engine when 20 seconds later the rest of the field all fire up and we are ready to go so we dropped the green flag, and why wouldn't there be dirt all over the track? Because it's a NASCAR race in 1986. It's a tradition. It is a tradition. It's like, it's like we race in the rain. We race in dirt. It doesn't matter. We now, put reporters right next to the track doing a commentary. Oh, God. Where was that at? That Was uh, was that at Pocono the week before? I believe it was. Or, no, no, no. It no. might have been no, it was at, um, It was at Richmond or North Wilkesboro. Maybe it was Wilkesboro. But yeah, because he was right at the edge edge of the pit road. Still, bad enough. It doesn't matter what track you're at in NASCAR. When you're basically on the track during live green flag racing, it gets your attention. Um, So we we throw the green flag. Richmond takes off to the lead. Um, He leads the first lap. I mean, automatically, lap one, Andy, I'm like, this has the potential to be a really good race. You could see how much they're drafting. And drafting at Michigan something we're not that used to. No, and you could tell about half the field was strong. I mean, just dead strong. And you could tell they wasn't, nobody was sandbagging. They was having to go for it. Yeah, well, and I think a lot of what helped it at the first of the race and then what made it spread out a little more toward the end, we learned that it had just rained before the race. So there was no rubber on the track. It was green, and it was 67 degrees when they dropped the green. I'd say the temperature shot up and got a little more greasy. But when the track for drafting was perfect when they threw the green flag. Yeah, and they didn't know what tires to bring or anything like that, so all this was just a guesswork. Yeah. So Benny Parsons, God, man, there's some people that just have bad luck so far in 1986. Benny Parsons is right up there with Neil Bonnet and Joe Rutman because he drops from 2nd to 11th in the first lap. We don't know exactly what's going on yet, but we find out in a few minutes. So the in-car cameras, I don't want to, it's just, why do they look that good? Like, could somebody explain this to us in our group? Why, when we have the technology we have now, do the cameras look so much worse than they did in 1986? I have a theory. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they tell you this in a lot of movies and stuff, like with Bruce Lee, people like that, you had to slow it down. To make it look real, because if you did what was real, it wouldn't look real. Well, with this, you have the camera in there, and it's mounted just like the driver, so it's vibrating, shaking. You get the feel of being there. Now we have all this, uh, I don't know what they call it, but there's no shake. The steady camera's cam. Just, yeah, it's just steady cam. 
and there's no shake to it. So it's kind of too sterile, I guess, is what I'm saying. I don't know. It just looks so good. but And, and maybe part of it is because we talked about this before. You don't have graphics going down the side, the top, and the bottom. I mean, now there's like, you see the running order down the side of the screen. Across the top of the screen, you see something. Across the bottom of the screen, you see something else. And in the corner, you have a commercial for Oreos. Yeah, you've got stuff all over the screen now. Maybe part of it is just because the screen was clean. (laughs) I don't know. So uh, we have the top 12, literally, all basically in one draft. Tim Richmond out front. We've got Bobby Allison, Bodine, Harry Gant, and Morgan Shepard. We have Gant getting by uh, Bobby Allison. He moves into third. And then B- Benny Parsons smoking and to the garage. Looks like engine failure early in the race. I guess that's why he dropped uh, just instantly down out of the lead pack. Six laps into the race. There's still 12 cars in this lead draft together. Uh, we have Richmond and Bodine trying to dra- draft away. D- did you did you notice the sound of the tires screeching going into the first turn on that one shot? Yes, because the first time I saw it, I swore up and down that they were fixing to spin out. Yeah, somebody was about to wreck. That's what because literally that's the way it sounds, and, and we we hear that all through the race too because they keep going back to that shot, and the way they're squilling those tires into that first turn is just it's crazy. Yeah, every time you keep looking, it's like you, your excitement jumps up. Or just say, "Oh, what, what? Oh, no, no, they're just going." Yeah, because anytime you hear that now, they are wrecking. <laughs> you, don't, you don't hear that tire squeal unless something bad's about to happen. Uh, so we've got Jeff Bodine to the lead with Harry Gant to to uh, Richmond's bumper shot from the stands. A fan using a stopwatch. God. Remember going to the races when you'd actually grab the stopwatch and try to clock the drivers yourself? <laughs> the stopwatch and the binoculars. That was the two things you had to have. Yeah, I mean, even at the dirt races, I always remember going and, and using the stopwatch, and you could tell who was fast by putting them on your stopwatch because we didn't have, you know, what they've got real-time scoring now, even at dirt tracks. You've got your phone. If you've got signal at the track, you can see what's going on in real time. So we have that. Um, we, uh, we've got, yeah, so we've got, uh, Parsons out of the race and we will hear from him. Mike Joy with the first retiree of the event. I'm, I'm not supposed to be talking to you for another 396 miles. What happened? Something happened to the engine, Mike. I really don't know. When the third corner, something broke. Uh, what are you going to do? Well, in qualifying, he was on the pole for about two minutes and that's about how long it lasted in the race. Tough luck. That is a hard one for Benny Parsons, determined another one of the great gentlemen of the sport. Here's Chris Economaki. Well, the clock show that Tim Richmond led the first few laps at just under 170 miles an hour. Now, keep in mind, tires have not been tested on this surface. There's deep concern here that this great speed is going to make for tire wear quicker than ever before. Back to you. I have one question. Okay. How in the hell has Mike Joy made it to this stage in life? With comments like that to every driver through the 80s. I don't know. Mike Joy was definitely uh, straight hardcore. Yes. Uh, Uh, I mean, Benny Parsons, this may have been about the point Benny Parsons was like, you know what? I just think I want to announce. Yeah, because, you know, he gets on there. Yeah, you're not supposed to be on here. You made it about two minutes. Tough luck. Yeah, he made it to you. This is a perfect Blue Chew sponsor 
insert. Um, poor Benny. Two, min- two minutes into the race, and he blew up. She don't want no two-minute man. <sighs> um, that was disturbing. So, But, yes, Mike Joy just he was on the pole for about two minutes. That's how long you lasted in the race. Good luck next week, Benny. Or whenever you race again. Yeah, so we, um, we're back onto the track here, 12 laps into the race. We take a commercial. I even like the. I even watched the commercials. This is one of those oh, things yeah. when you're going back to 1986. They had some pretty good commercials in this race. Yeah, who, who remembers the pump up toothpaste? I mean, come on, this this <laughs> yeah. was awesome to watch these things. Yeah, so the, the commercials is definitely on point. Um, we got Bo, uh, Bodine, Richmond, Gant out front, and the pack separating just a little bit. But I mean, it's took 12 laps and. It's this is a race, and we say watch a lot of them. This is a race you really just need to go back and watch because there's so much going on. Like if I tried to top everything out that was happening, we'd be talking about this race for six hours. Yeah, and don't let the timestamp fool you. It's three and a half hours on the video we watched, but it goes by quick. It, yeah, this is not some of these three hour races are a chore to watch. This one was like three hour. Oh, cool, it's over. Wow. Yeah, so, the, the uh, only thing that will drag just the least little bit is all the uh, petty, whatever you call it, memoirs and yeah. the thing on Daryl. That kind of drags a little bit, but the rest of it, it goes by just fast. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've got Rusty Wallace uh, drops off the pace. He looks like he's got some sort of an issue. He gets into the pits. The 38 car is in the garage, and we have a caution. Uh, we get under caution here, Mike Joy with Jake Elder. He says Morgan Shepard didn't want tires right then. Man, I was, he was just saving money. I yeah, mean, no, Morgan. We, we, poor Morgan. He was just trying to save Jack Beebe some money because all these people's trying to blister tires and all this, and Morgan didn't even take right side tires. Yeah. Like, oh, and the the stop light or the caution light that they've got on here that looks like a road caution light, the graphic mm, up in the corner. Yeah. I mean, this is old school. Oh, all yeah, the way. old school. As much as you can get. So we've got Economaki checking out Jeff Bodine's tires, and he said they look good, which is really surprising. But we do see some people have tire problems later on. Uh, Morgan Shepard in the lead. The we got Richmond, Earnhardt, Terry Labonte now. Then we get Earnhardt by Richmond for second. Then Earnhardt to the lead, passing Morgan Shepard. We Terry Labonte tried to get by also. Richmond and Gant side by side right behind them. Then Gant passes Richmond on the outside. And then he tries to go outside of Labonte and then they're three wide. I mean, they they were really literally all over the place in this one. Right here is probably some of the best racing you'll see. It don't matter when you watch it. Yes. They were all over the place. You heard that right. Three wide at Michigan in the turn, bouncing all over the place. They, They were going crazy. And we're just in the first eighth of a race yeah hanging out i mean hanging it out on the right rear too it's not like they were stuck to the track they were sliding and they were three wide sliding through the turn without wrecking which is pretty impressive then we get morgan shepherd back by earnhardt and then earnhardt tries a crossover he don't make it so he loses some momentum and he almost falls back but then he gets back under morgan shepherd then we're three wide for the lead with uh ricky rudd and Jeff Bodine going to the apron. Ned Jarrett says that uh, Richmond is an exciting driver. No kidding. <laughs> like everybody was an exciting driver <laughs> in this race. It, 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 the guy in 30th was having an exciting race. 
Even Morgan, I mean, he he was having an exciting race. Oh on man, this. Morgan was up on the wheel this race, just like he was at Atlanta. Uh, we've got we have Richmond backed by Earnhardt. There's still 12 cars in this lead pack, and somehow, just they all they all wreck, but they don't wreck. They hit each other going into the turn, and it starts up front. They kind of like stack up and. They, I, I'm pretty sure all 12 cars made contact with one another in that turn and nobody crashed. Yeah. If, if you could go back and find one of these cars, I guarantee you it's got the paint of at least 10 or more cars <laughs> yeah. on it. Yeah. They, none of them was clean. They was all beat up after this race, like a race at Wilkesboro. So we have Earnhardt back by, um, Richmond. Then we get Labonte drop diving under Bodine. Now we have Richmond back to the outside of Earnhardt. I just, you know, I said you're being quarantined anyway. Go watch this race. Like this is well worth the three hours, three and a half hours it's going to take. Well, you know, this was a good year because they played the Richmond race on Fox the other day. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like after like NASCAR is shut down, so let's play the 1986 Richmond race. It's like what a year to pick to do this show. <laughs> it's like, uh, good, good call. Um, we have Harry Gant now inside of Jeff Bodine for second. Mike Joy is with Waddell Wilson, who said that they had a bad qualifying setup in Kelly Yarbrough's car. But it's even so. I mean, this Kelly Yarbrough wasn't even in the picture at the beginning of the race because he's at the back. Kelly Yarbrough's just mowing his way through the field, literally. Yeah, Kelly Arborough take no prisoners. He just he just gets it done. We have Jeff Bodine now to the lead, passing Earnhardt, and the Gant tries to pass the Earnhardt on the outside, three wide for second. Tim Richmond then inside and passes Gant and Earnhardt. He about he th- I think this is the point where he went on the apron going through the dogleg or the trioval. It was nuts. He was almost in the grass. It, we have <laughs> Earnhardt sideways. He almost wrecks into Richmond, but he saves it. And then uh, some more nostalgic commercials. I, there, this You needed the commercials to catch your breath. Yes. Have you driven a Ford lately? I hadn't, but by George, I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let me have one of them. I'll take it. 40 laps in, back from commercial, Bodine, Gantt, Earnhardt, Richmond, Labonte and Morgan Shepard. Then Gant gets by um, Bodine for the lead. The crowd crowd jumped up. They was cheering Gant on there. They liked that, uh, the Skull Bandit. Yes, you had to have the Bandit. So Bobby Allison, somebody else we hadn't really talked about, <laughs> moving through the field. He's into fourth. We get some pit stops going on. And then it this, this, is the, this is the moment. You just see a piece of it there. However, pit reporters will get a closer look at that a little later. And you can feel that in a race car. That's like having oh, yeah. a vibrator on your back. No question about it. Not a very pleasant one either. <laughs> <laughs> like having a vibrator on your back. And not a pleasant not one. Not a pleasant one either. Even Ned Jarrett agrees with him, which I'm not sure if it makes it better or worse. But when I heard that, it's, it's one of those moments in the race you're making notes <laughs> and you're watching the race. Somebody comes into the, the pits because he's got a flat tire and then, oh. then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, what, did he say? 
<laughs> yeah, you got a bad vibrator, and it's not a pleasant one. That the pleasant one is what just yeah, not it a pushed pleasant. It, one. it pushed it off the edge but, right there because you just think maybe Squire's old. This is nineteen eighty six. Things were a little different. But then he says, "But not a pleasant one." <laughs> so he knew what he was saying. Had to, and he straight to. said it anyway. <laughs> I, you, do you think that sometimes these guys do like? I know we do it every once in a while. We'll try to say something just to throw the other and off. Yeah, and I'm wondering if he was trying to do that with Ned, and Ned's just like, "Yep," <laughs> yeah, like like a bench, like the bench licker comment. Yes, like the bench licker. So yeah, I and mean, maybe I'd say Ned didn't know what he was talking about. He just agreed. Yeah, he was just like, yeah, sure. Um, but, yeah. But, um, yeah wait, well, you know, down there in Randleman, we throw in those quarters and those beds and they blah, 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 blah. <laughs> that might have been what Ned was thinking about, but that is not what Ken Squire was talking about. <laughs> I don't think so, because you can't put one of them on your back. It'd be hard. <laughs> Literally, figuratively, and everything in between. Oh, God. Okay, so we get There's the, the Blue Chew commercial. <laughs> yeah, right there's the Blue Chew commercial for this, uh, this uh. event. Ken Squire and his vibrator. Um, we get the caution flag as the leaders are coming into the pits and, uh, it was just like a debris caution on the restart. We have Gant, Earnhardt, Neil Bonnet. Now, um, we also have Yarborough and Richmond in the top five. We're past a hundred miles into the race. We get Gant out to a good start at the field. Don't get bunched up quite as tight on this restart. Um, Earnhardt and, um, Kelly Yarborough and Richmond running right together, but it's three wide behind them. Uh, Gant kind of ran away a little bit, but Earnhardt runs him down, takes the lead. So we've got a five car lead draft with Earnhardt, Gant, Morgan Shepard, Kelly Yarborough, and Tim Richmond. So the 47 of Shepard slides by again into second. Then we get the 25 inside again, but he can't make it stick. He loses a spot. We have Gant and Shepard side by side. They make some contact, and uh, Gant slides back to fifth. And now we have Kel Yarborough inside of Shepard, and they hit twice down the main straightaway. And, I mean, it wasn't like they just accidentally touched each other. It was like the Days of Thunder were slamming your ass in the rental car. Yeah, I I never thought you'd see Morgan Shepard be the one to be like, oh, you, oh, re- okay, pow, now how you like it? Yeah, especially on Kel Yarborough. I mean, Kel Yarborough, I, you know, I could think of a few other people I'd rather pick on than Kel Yarborough. Yeah, I'd rather go after Jimmy Spencer than Kel Yarborough. Yeah, I mean, Kel Yarborough. He jumped out on both Allisons. I mean, come on, he had no fear. Oh, but he did get his ass whipped. Though, but, so. but no fear. <laughs> no fear, though. No, he was ready to fight. He just, he just he too win. short. He didn't win the fight, but he was there. Um, another lap later, we get we get Yarborough inside of Earnhardt for the lead. They make a little bit of contact. Now we have Richmond and Shepard as uh, we get Yarborough passing Earnhardt for the lead. There's so much going on. It's even hard. It was even hard for me to type legible notes. We have Willie T. Ribs, who actually made the race, spin out, and he's out of the race. He raises the hood. He checks the motor. We learn, this is weird, that NASCAR has warned Morgan Shepard about rough driving. <laughs> like, that's, a, that's a quote you don't think you're ever going to hear. We I'd, have warned Morgan Shepard for rough driving. I want to say something right here. Speaking yeah. of Willie T. Ribs, if you get a chance, I think it's on Netflix. We're all quarantined now anyway, so we got to sit and watch stuff. There is a show, and the name of it is Uppity, and it is about Willie T. Ribs' career. And I found out stuff on that that I didn't know, 
and gives a whole a whole other backstory to why his NASCAR career was so short. So and if you ever point, get a chance to watch it, I highly recommend. It. So does it actually paint him in a little better light than we see him at? With yeah, some of you, his comments? you get to see the back, his side of the story. You know, you you get to see why he had this attitude and why he was going after it, and uh, the back deal po- or backroom politics and all this other stuff. You know, you get to see the complete picture, not just you know, what you know from the little blip in NASCAR history. Yeah. Well, check it out. I'll have to watch that while I'm quarantined here in the house. Um, so we have the caution out and now we have a couple of interviews on pit road. With Harry Hyde. Harry and Tommy Johnson are talking tires. That's what everybody's talking about here on pit road. Harry Goodyear recommended that you scuff in the tires before you put them on the race car. But the set of right side tires that just went on that car were brand new sticker tires. Why make that change? You mean on our car? Oh, uh, I bet you they're not sticker tires. Okay. They better not be. Then I'll stand corrected. If you scuff them in, what advantage does that those give have, you? Those have four laps on them, and uh, we scuffed all of our tires except one set. And uh, we're in pretty good shape on tires. We haven't had any failures yet up to 30 laps. I think Harry knows more than he's telling here. You're the an old curmudgeon type of crew chief. There's a bunch of those around here. You've got a young playboy driver. Does that work? Oh, yeah, we got a happy medium there. He gives a little bit, and I give a little bit. And uh, uh, he, if, if I tell him to smooth it out, he'll do it. He'll do what I tell him, and uh, today we're running real good. We're running right where we want to be, and uh, he's looking real good. Uh, the old and the new is making it real good right now. Well, last week they gave it heck all the way to victory lane. Let's go to Chris. I'm with Travis Carter, Harry Gans crew chief. Travis, Harry is on his 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th tires of the race, only 130-some miles gone by. Will you have enough to go the full distance? Well, I think so. Most of these tires uh, look like today they're going to be reusable. I looked down the road, and a couple of guys had a little problem, but we didn't have any tire problem. I think the track had changed a little bit, and maybe the staggers were a little off, and he felt that he might be uh, getting in a position to have some trouble, so he just eased off then. I, I think we're going to be all right. The tires are reusable. I think there are enough scarf tires along the pit road here for everybody to be able to not have to put new ones on. New tires may be a problem, but if you put them on stickers. Uh, what about your driver? He had took a terrible jolt a week ago today at Pocono, bruised his heart, was in the hospital through Tuesday. What kind of shape is he in? Well, he seems to be uh, physically fine. Naturally, there's quite a great deal of soreness. Uh, his legs are sore, as I think his, his upper body's sore, but he said he felt good. He didn't think he would tire. You know, this is not a really physical race, so he expects to be able to go all the day. It's a relatively cool day, and that'll make it easier on him, too. Okay, thank you, Travis Carter. Back to you, Ken. Uh, so we hear from the crew chiefs, and again, Mike Joy straight fire. Oh. Uh, he takes Terry. He, ta- he takes Harry Hyde to task for about oh zero point two seconds until Harry Hyde said, "I bet you, by God, <laughs> that those ain't sticker tires." And you know what? Mike Joy was like, "Yes, sir." <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a Chihuahua when he's going after a pit bull, and the pit bull finally turns around. Yeah. Oh, or sorry. And then we go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum, and Travis Carter's a good old boy. But he's about as exciting as my desk. <laughs> yeah, it was not. Yes, he was. He was there. He's and just. He's, he's going to drive. I mean, he's just. You know, as a matter of fact, I mean, God, I would have loved to have been. You know, my the age I am now in NASCAR, just hanging around the garage in '86 
around Harry Hyde. I guarantee you, between him and Tim Richmond, that would have been a fun team to be be around. Uh, I, I don't know. It'd either be fun or it'd be one of them like when your parents get in a fight and you run to the other room because, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, they were so different. I don't know. They, But it worked. So how can you complain? So it wouldn't be a, a race if Richard Petty didn't have a rag hanging out of his mouth. And um, under caution, we uh, Richard Petty and he did, always had the rag in his mouth. I guess, you know, most guys just drank water. He just would let them soak a rag in water, and he would just kind of suck on the rag. Yeah, I never, I never did figure that out. But that one Rick he had, I think it was in the seventies, where the rags just come flying out the window, and they thought his body had come apart. And oh, it it was bad. Have a rag in your mouth when you have one of them wrecks, and you won't make it because you'll suck the rag down the windpipe. Uh, the rag didn't kill him, but he, he ate the rag. He, he asphyxiated. Uh, and not the fun kind either, as Ken no. Spire would tell No, it wasn't the kung fu dude kind, it was the bad kind. Um, we are back to green. Harry Gant, Earnhardt, Bobby Allison, the leaders. We get Allison around Earnhardt pretty quickly to second, then. Earnhardt with the crossover, Jeff Bodine right with them. This time we get we get another blown engine pretty quick. Jody Ridley in the 75. Caution is out. Uh, back to green. And um, we have a lot. I don't know. We have wind racing. I don't think that's what I meant to type. But we have wind racing apparently because that's <laughs> broke out. <laughs> I thought it was wild racing, but okay. I, I think it should have said wild racing. Um, oh, we, we did find out. This is something I didn't know. You know, Robert Yates threw his tools down and went home from what we caught early before the season. You know, he, he was working yep. for Die Guard. He went to the house. I guess he didn't technically go home, go home, because he was building Jeff Bodine's engines. Yeah, and how uh, – I don't know. You, when you look back at this stuff and see all the big, I mean, super names that you've got now as far as car owners and such – and you see back here how they was all just starting out. It's it's really weird to see them in their beginnings. Yeah, I mean Yates just uh, just an it's still just an engine guy building fast cars for Jeff Bodine, fast engines. Uh, and we say that this is the restart that's really weird because somehow Jeff Bodine just busted away from the pack. I mean he was gone. It's like you don't drive away from a draft. I'm not sure what happened on the restart. I'd have to rewatch it. But somehow, Bodine literally gets two, three seconds ahead just in a few laps. You don't think he did like some drivers and pull a handle and let the BBs run out, do you? No, because nobody spun out. Oh, we okay. have the big wad of cars right behind him. Maybe they just all kind of got wadded up together and it gave him enough time to get away from them. We have Earnhardt trying to get through um, this big pile of cars with Richmond. Bodine is just gone. Ricky Rudd, he's a half a second ahead of... Terry Labonte, Daryl Waltrip, and Earnhardt. You know, that might have been what it was. Some of them guys pitted. Bodine had somehow got lucky, got a good break, and he had um, Labonte and Ricky Red right behind him on the restart and Daryl Waltrip, and none of them was that fast. He didn't have Richmond and Earnhardt and Shepard and Yarborough up there with him. Maybe yeah, maybe it's just a slight slowdown, but yeah, it gets back. It picks up pretty quick. After oh this. yeah, so we get a shot from the stands, and there is a woman knitting in the stands. I mean, why? See, <laughs> see, no, see, this is proof that here in America we are united as one. Whether you're from the north or the south, Mamma's got to do the knitting. 
Yeah, but she's doing the knitting right in the middle of one of the best races I've ever watched. <laughs> well, maybe she didn't like racing, and she just went there with her husband like, okay, you're going to the Cracker Bar with me. I'll go to the race with you. I guess. <laughs> we'll, work, we'll do something with the vibrator after the race. Oh, dear Lord. Put in a quarter. Halfway point uh, coming up. We've got Bodine out front by about two and a half seconds. But that race for sixth on back, they were just, they were all over each other again. Uh, another commercial break back and Bodine still way out front. Economaki talks to Gary Nelson, who said they're happy leading. But when Jeff's in traffic, it's pretty hard. And that is a good uh, soundbite because we'll hear that later. Uh, Mike Joy talks to Bud Moore, who says they're just pacing theirself. Of course. So good battle behind Bodine, who's now six seconds ahead. We have Earnhardt, Labonte, Gant, and Shepard, also Richmond, and now Buddy Baker. But we just keep getting new people. It's like it's like, and now you have a turn up front. Now you have a turn, just like Oprah's deal. And yeah, now you yeah. have a car. Here, you take the lead. No, you take the lead. All right, everybody, line up and let's hug. So it does get spread out a little. Another commercial. We're back. Bodine pitting from the lead. We get Mike Joy talking about Petty's engine with uh, Glenn Wood. Uh, he thinks they've dropped the valve. They have dropped out of the race. We have Harry Gant, Earnhardt, uh, Tim Richmond, Shepard, and Buddy Baker, the top five. And now there's eight of them together in this, uh, this little draft. They uh, show this piece. Here's Daryl Waltrip's piece. I mean, we've got an eight-car lead draft. We have one of the better <laughs> Michigan races we've ever seen. And here's the perfect time to show a five-minute video on Daryl Waltrip on his ranch. Yes, and the bad part, don't get me wrong. If you take this clip and put it in any other setting, it is a good, heartwarming, you know, family-oriented piece about a good driver. And that's yeah. and I'm letting a Daryl Walter fan. But, you know, it, it is. But you put it in here where we have all this action going on, and I'm like, what in the world? Yeah. And this, is, this is what I call... Um, Image Repair 101, too. I don't know if Daryl paid CBS, you know, some money for this. Like, you know, I want to I want to have a softer image. I'm getting away from this Budweiser deal. Can you, can you make it look like I'm a good guy now? Well, and the bad thing is to watch this, if you was watching it in 86, you might have thought that. But from what I've seen and everything I've read about him, he held that image up till now oh yeah no i mean he really did change it it wasn't like he was putting on a front you know but when you first see this that's what you would think back then you know oh here's josh yeah sure yeah okay yeah you got a bible study whatever but you know when his wife is still giving the earnhardt's bible verses before they go to race you know that shows you that it maybe this was for real i mean you can't judge nobody but it seems like it was now yeah so um we finally get back to the track and uh, Yarborough into the pits for tires, 132 laps in. Actually, Yarborough wasn't just into the pits for tires. He had, he had blew a tire and hit the wall pretty hard. He's out of race. He hit everything. The the dude driving the pace car was getting worried. He he started putting on brown pants. Oh, yeah. Yarborough, was, he was all over the place in this race. Back to green. Um, and we have Dale Earnhardt almost wrecks right off of Tommy Ellis's front bumper and he would not have been happy camper if he'd have crashed there we have uh, Shepherd off the pace as is tommy ellis we have harry gant driving by earnhardt for the lead pretty easy we have bobby allison again up toward the front right on their tail 
Uh, Mike Joy chalk talks to Jack Beebe, who says they dropped a transmission. So Morgan's out of the race and he had a pretty good car. Yeah. And you know, when Mike Joy's talking about dropping a tranny, this wasn't what I thought <laughs> we was going to be discussing, but here we are. And, uh, we have now Chris Economaki with TG Shepard. Oh, with car 25 TG. Well, I'm a spokesperson for the race team on behalf of Folgers coffee. And, uh, we blend country music along with racing. to do a TV show and I hope they hold out. Well, okay. T.G. Shepard, a friendly figure along pit road this year in NASCAR Grand National Racing. Back to you, Ken. Chris, he was in Nashville last night and he's in Los Angeles tonight. I think it's a late performance around 10 or 10.30. Now, there's Richmond going underneath. Tonight? Uh, I'm flying out at 7.40 tonight to go out and do some TV out there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's on your horse. T.G. Shepard again. There he is trying to get underneath Elliot. Andy, um, T.G. Shepard. Wonder why he didn't uh, sponsor his cousin Morgan. You reckon? Get, I don't know. I don't but know. you, you know, T.G. Shepard is not a name. I'm even still that. I mean, it's like it's weird. He's supposed to be this big star, and it, he reminds me of these poor guys that land in Pigeon Forge singing in front of <laughs> sixty-two people at a buffet. Well, here, here's the thing that runs through my head. Okay, you got Harry Hyde, this freaking you know old school commerging. Uh, yeah. You know, crew chief, you got Tim Richin, supposed to be the Hollywood playboy type, and T.G. Shepard, uh, the country music singer. What kind of, uh, I mean, you can't make up stuff like this. No, I mean, I would think a good Folger spokesperson back then that would have tied well into country music and would have been a great name on the side of the car would have been Kenny Rogers. Yeah. Please, of all people, put Kenny on there, and I mean, you already had Burt Reynolds. There's yeah, a built-in. I, mean, I would have said Burt Reynolds, but he was already there. Yeah, with, with, you, the, with the bandit. And then you'd have a Hollywood rivalry plus the driving rivalry. I yeah. mean, come on, this is great. It'd yeah. been awesome. And Kenny Rogers was already in Six Pack, which was one of the better racing movies ever. Yes, no, no question. God rest his soul. He 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 knew when to fold them, Andy. Well, that's for sure. He he sure knew when to fold them on this one. That kind of made me a little bit nervous. All I can say <laughs> if is Betty White checks out. Yes, <laughs> somebody put Betty White in a bubble, please. Or if Mick Jagger or uh, what's the other Keith one? Keith Richards. Keith Richards. If one of them, then it's over. We just that's yeah, we, the sign of the apocalypse. The minds were wrong. They meant to say twenty twenty one, not twenty twelve. Twenty twenty. I know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it'll take it that long. Yes. But yeah. We'll get there. Um, so we've got, uh, again, out front. Now, Bill Elliott, I'm, he hasn't been up front, nowhere near the front pack all day, really. And he's up into second. And, um, we have, uh, Bobby Allison and Dale Earnhardt right behind a few more laps later. And, and Elliott drives right by Gant for the lead. So 300 miles into the race, it's Elliot Gant, Allison Earnhardt, and Buddy Baker. And this is kind of the part of the race where they it does spread out a little. They knock down quite a few laps. Elliot stays out front. Gant, Baker, Bodine, Rutman, the top five. It's because pit stops are taking place. Then we get Chet Phillip. He's an IndyCar driver. He's up into the top ten, like out of nowhere. Just uh, And he's not riding a good car, so this is a really mm. good run for uh, somebody like that. Well, like you say, everybody was getting a chance up there at this track. I, yeah. The pavement just helped everybody along. 170 laps in, get right back to Elliott's bumper. Terry Labonte 
He's trying to hang on to the lead lap. He's right in front of both of them with some other lap cars. And Gant makes a really good move. He, it was a slick move by Bill Elliott. He used uh, Labonte as a pick with another couple of lap cars to get around Elliott. Elliott kind of was going to ride behind and pick his way through there, and then Gant just made a lane. Yeah, he. I mean, he's got what you call wheelbarrow balls. That's how big uh, you got to have something to carry. Yeah, because he stuck it in a place where he shouldn't have stuck it, and it stuck. Yes. I mean, you stick it in a place that's pretty tight. Going for the lead um, uh, a week after you almost died. Yes. Without any thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Just, take, just throwing you, it out there. You almost shot your wad the last week, but then this week you do this. Yeah. So we do get a caution uh, coming out, which sets up for a potential wild finish with less than 25 laps to go. We, uh, we get the green flag out, and we have Tim Richmond, who had lost a lap, and uh, Terry Labonte, they both get the jump on Gantt to get their laps back on the restart. Gantt immediately gets back outside of Labonte, and Bill Elliott's right behind Gantt. The Bobby Hillen now <laughs> is in third. Uh, it's literally everybody just comes out of everywhere. Somebody's just there. I was waiting on Tim Horner to take the lead at some point. Oh, good God. Speaking of. He's shameless. He is shameless. Um, Bobby Hillen in third, Bodine now in fourth, Harry Gant to the bumper of Richmond and he goes, tries to get under him to put him a lap down again. Um, Richmond right on Gant's bumper with Elliot behind him. Then we have a crash with Ricky Rudd, Rusty Wallace, Chet Phillip and Neil Bonnet. And Richmond was trying to be, I think he was trying to be the better guy here. He, he was fast, but he let Gant go by him. And that kind of it probably wasn't for the best because it kept him a lap down right there. Yeah, and that, but, that that really took one of the major competitors out right then. I mean, yeah, I mean, he already would have had an uphill battle, but if he had got back on the lead lap right there, you never know. He'd have been at least he'd had a shot at it. Yeah, because I mean, right there, you take out well three of the top drivers. You know, four if you yeah, count Bonnet. Means, Bonnet was running yeah, decent. When Bonnet so, was up, they were all in the top ten. 12. Yeah, so you made a pretty good chance for you right there. Yeah, so uh, we do get Economaki talking to Chet Phillip. Hey, Chet, he's soaking wet with perspiration. He's having a hard time getting out, and he really looks really worn out from this episode that he's undergone here. There come the goggles off, and the men are still really sure. Chet, you all right? Yeah. What, what, what triggered all that? Uh, a couple guys spun, and... Uh, Bonnet slowed down in front of me, and I, I couldn't slow down enough to keep from hitting him in the rear. How hard was the hit? I hit him pretty hard. Yeah. Okay, Chet Phillips, a disappointed boy from Texas, getting out of the car, and he looks like his left foot might be bothering him just a little bit. They got the engine fired up, and they're working on the front end, but it's doubtful that he'll get back in in the short time remaining. Down pit road to Mike Joy. Bud Moore is talking with Harold Stott, one of his crewmen. They're going to bring Ricky back in. One of the crewmen has a long piece of string here. Now, that's not to tie the car back together, but they'll use it to realign the front end. Ricky did bend the front suspension, probably the tie rod, and it kept the front wheels from both pointing exactly straight ahead. We'll talk to them after they get their service completed. Here is Ricky coming back down pit road. And there you have it. Mike Joy, the king of dad jokes. Uh. <laughs> 
Yeah. Let's not forget about Economaki here, talking about somebody being soaking wet. In the same broadcast, Ken Squire talks about vibrators, and Ed Jarrett agrees with him. Chris Konamaki talks about somebody being soaking wet coming out of their suit. Yeah, I mean, come on, seriously. They had to know back then what they were saying, sure. Well, no, I mean, I'll give Economaki a pass. Yes, that's that, that That wasn't too bad. But just in the same broadcast with all the rest of it just makes it worse. Uh, we're just a minute. We, we've been inside too long. <laughs> yes, definitely. Chet Phillip with, you know, that's one of those, I wish his name was Monty, because that would have been the perfect thing for Major League, where Bob Euchre's with the dude, and all he says was, you know, one word. He's like, hitting pretty hard. Dynamite drop in, Chet. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> now, here, let me continue to help you take your suit oh. off. And we do restart the race here with Gant up front. Bill Elliott jumps inside the lead for the lead with um, Bodine right on them. We have Elliott who can't make a pass. Jeff Bodine inside of him for second. Coming down to 10 to go, Gant is really, really loose. I mean, watch the last 10 laps and see how many times, count how many times Gant almost crashes. Yeah, almost, but, you know, he he's dirt tracking it. That's why they had dirt on it at the start of the race. He was dirt tracking it. Yeah, he was sideways. And I, it's not just like, oh, he's a little loose. He was sideways out of every turn. Yeah, when the only thing straight at the camera is the front tires, the rest of the car is sideways, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's how sideways. It's like Mike Joy said, they need to put a string on Harry Gant's car. It was towed out to or something. <laughs> he had some sort of an alignment problem because his tires wouldn't hook up to the track. Um, they're trying to drive away, um, him and Elliot from uh, Bodine and Buddy Baker. And Gant's car, it pushes up the track. And then it catches, and then it almost spins. And Elliot is just right on his bumper. Seven laps to go. They're glued together. Gant is hanging it out every corner. Bodine in third. Baker closing in on him. Mike Joy asks for strategy from Travis Carter, and he just shakes his head and laughs. I mean, Travis Carter don't even know what to say. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're just happy that he's not wrecked yet. <laughs> So then we have Mike Joy saunter on down to Dan Elliott, to Bill Elliott's pit to talk to Dan Elliott. And he asked him his strategy. And right about that time, we see all the pit crew jump off the wall and everybody's going crazy. You don't hear Dan Elliott because Bill Elliott is trying to take the lead from uh, Harry Gant with four laps to go. That's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it works out for him. Let's see how it works out. Reckon Harry let him go by, and he's, he's going to make the slingshot on the last lap. A lot, of, lot going on there now. Takes that wide sweep, going around Rusty Wallace in that incident a few moments ago. Back straight away. Where would you like to be right now, Mr. Jarrett? Well, I think if he, if he has it to do it with, he'll have to start making his move as he comes off of turn two and pass him going into turn three, if he can do it. Elliott in front. I don't think he can do it. We'll see. Can't pulls in. Camp pulls into the inside for a moment. Two to go. Last two laps to go, and Baker closes up on Bodine. If we look a little further back, leaders. Elliott draws away a bit here. Back straight away. Coming up for the white flag. Lap remaining. They come by this time. 
Gantz there. He's uh, using the draft to good advantage, moving in. Elliott just seems to pull away when he gets about halfway down the straightaway. What will this be, 11th different winner between either of these two? Neither of these drivers have won so far this year. Elliott won the special race for the winners from last year. $200,000 that he collected in Atlanta. Here's the white flag, one to go. Take your choice. Who's it like to be first or like to be second? Bill Elliott is there on the point. Harry Gant, number 33, riding second. Last lap of the Michigan 400 here on CBS. Into the back straightaway. Kenny will never be able to do it, I don't think. He needed to do it a little bit earlier to make, try to make that move. He needs to be up the side of him right now, or, or inching up beside him, and he hasn't caught him yet. Up. 15 car lengths right there. He moves in closer as he goes into the turn. He's really going to have to get some acceleration off of this turn if he's going to do it. Coming down for the finish. Out of the fourth turn. Last time, Gant goes all the way to the wall. Tries to find anything with which to pull a slingshot. It's not to be had. And car number nine, Bill Elliott wins his first race of 1986. He's third in a row in the Michigan 400. Harry Gant with an amazing comeback from disaster a week ago. Places second and steaming across the finish line in third. Jeff Bodine with Buddy Baker driving a beautiful fourth. And, I mean, it didn't have the photo finish, but Gant did get right back to Elliott. He had another shot oh. at him there toward the end. Oh, he was trying. You know he was driving oh. the wheels off that thing. Yeah. I mean, it had probably been a while. So I can't remember. I'd have to look up the last time Gant had won prior to that, but I'd say it had been a little while. Um, but he, you, you just kind of felt like Elliott would just drive away once he got into the lead, but that did not happen. Yeah, as, as hard as Gant was trying to race to keep him behind him, and then Elliott, when he gets open and he gets past him, he's gone, you think, and then Bedurned if Gant don't try to close it up on him. Well, Gant actually won three races in 1985. He won two of the last six races, so he wasn't winless for a long time, but uh, you know he still wanted to win that race because he had just had such a <laughs> big moment the week before. Yeah, and if nothing else, drinking a beer or two might have dulled some of the pain. Yeah, yeah. So we have that. Uh, the race is over, and we will take you to the Victory Lane interview and the interview with Harry Gant. Bill Elliott wiping the grime and collected grease from his face as he unstraps himself and starts to climb out of this red number nine Thunderbird. There he with a big happy wave. And that's a smile we haven't seen all year long, Bill. Congratulations. Well, I felt like I was never going to get here, but, you know, it seemed like the first part of the race that, you know, it wasn't meant for me to be here today, but we kept on working with the car. You know, and the crew got good there at the end of the race, and we put it together. I was going to ask you, were you waiting, or were you going as hard as you could all day? Well, I was really concerned about tires at the first of the race, because everybody was blistering some, and I blistered some, and then finally we got the car worked out to where it stayed consistent with what it had, and I was tickled to death with it. Well, you're back home again, so to speak, Victory Lane and your car owner's hometown. It must be a great feeling. No doubt about it. It's really great. Okay, how are you going to celebrate, Bill? You're a quiet kind of guy. Tell us a little bit about that. Later well, on. they won't go out and really party tonight. There you go. Why not? Bill Elliott, who hasn't won a regular season race all year long, is going to party tonight in the big way. Now let's go down the track to Mike Joy. How many times over all these years have we heard that phrase? Well, here's second place Harry. I thought you had him stumped today, and I think maybe you did too. Well, I did till Bill come up there to last, uh, and I seen he was real strong. Uh, my car was, it was really kind of weak. It didn't handle real good. I mean, perfect. 
but to stay with him, I had to stay right in the draft and try to make up some time in the corners because if he'd ever got another 100 feet earlier, I, before the last caution, you know, I couldn't keep up with him. He was strong, and when he was behind me running out there, my last uh, tar was just a little bit loose. There was a possibility if, maybe if I could keep him behind, you know, I might have beat him, but I was a little loose in the corner, and he passed me with ease. <laughs> But now, can he move your car around a bit when he's trailing you in the draft if he sees you're a little loose and that back end's wanting to kick out? Well, not that much here. You do normally, but here uh, it didn't really seem like. I was just a little loose anyway, and uh, it took a, a more laps I ran, the better it got. Now, the last two laps, the car began to go through three much, much better. But, uh, yeah, he ran awful strong. You know, it's really been hard to beat him. You were very slow climbing into the car this morning after that wreck seven days ago. You climbed out of it with a little more energy after racing 400 miles. I guess... The adrenaline builds up, and you get to feel a little better when you can race that hard and have a shot to win. Yeah, I felt real good. I didn't have any pain, you know, from my ribs or anything. That was good. I, I was worried about if I could take a deep breath without it hurting too bad, and uh, it worked okay. Uh, might have been a little tireder, but the pain wasn't there, and that's what really mattered. Well, you finished second in this race in 1981, but it only paid about $12,000 then. Hey, yeah. I don't wait for day. We're sure needing a win real bad. Uh, you know, I, I knew it was going to be very, very tough out then when Bill was running that strong, and I just hope I can hang on, but uh, and I really thought I might have had a shot at getting back at him because uh, the longer we ran, it seemed like I could equal him a little bit better, but there just wasn't that long enough laps left. NASCAR has tried real hard to achieve parity between the various makes of cars, and looking at the Chevy Ford battle at the end of this race today, would you say they've done that? Yeah, pretty good. You know, the Ford's still a much smaller car than Chevrolet. Uh, they still got a big advantage. Okay, let's go back upstairs. <laughs> and I like that. Harry Gant, uh, he has a the interview and he takes the jab at the Ford right at the end. They always played politics back then. That was so cool because the cars were different. You always had to, you know, promote your own agenda. He was still talking about the Fords having an advantage because Bill Elliott still had a better car. Yeah. It didn't matter if only one car of the competition was a Ford, all the Chevys would grab because they won. Or if the winner was a Chevy, all the Fords would grab because the Chevy won. Even if the next eight places were the same thing, it didn't matter. Yeah. Let's look at the standings actually for this race. Elliott wins Gantt in a Chevrolet in second, Bodine in a Chevrolet in third, a GM car, of Buddy Baker and Oldsmobile in fourth, Daryl Waltrip and Dell Earnhardt fifth and sixth, both in Chevys, Bobby Hillen Jr. in a Buick in seventh, Rick Wilson in an Oldsmobile in eighth, Joe Rutman in a Buick in ninth, and Ricky Red is the other Ford um, in tenth. So yeah, Ford's <laughs> bookends the top ten, but they have that advantage. Yes, it's overwhelming. We don't know what to do with it. Yeah. So. Um, through that race, uh, 11, that was the only cars on the lead lap also. Bobby Allison finished 11th, the lap down, Terry Labonte. Richard Petty finishes 13th. So it wasn't like he had a horrible race. It's just like he was never in that lead draft. No, and that's what's, like, uh, like we talked earlier, this is what surprised us about this year is the fact that Richard is still a competitive driver even with all these names that you see down I mean, Walter, Elliott, Gann, Earnhardt, he's still competing with these guys. Yeah, and and when you look at this race, talk about just the competition. The people that's out of the race that had problems, you had Neil Bonnet, um, Shepard, Yarborough, Kyle Petty, uh, Benny Parsons. Yeah. That's all cars that could have ran at least towards the front all out of the race, so... 
we now me and Andy are not social distancing. We have, we have a moment. We just had a moment. Wow, that was interesting. <laughs> one leans one way, and the other leans another way, and then bam, yep. we're there. Um, I don't know where to go with this. So twenty fifth to the forty first in this race was out of the race oh. for, with problems, just like we're having right now. Yes. Oh, so I'll now get, I'll get my Tennessee Hills whiskey sanitizer here. And- yeah, we need to sanitize ourselves. Um, so we had uh, one, two, three. Four, we had five cars that didn't make the race. Um, the race ends with eight cautions for thirty-nine laps, thirty-four lead changes. Don't tell me races in nineteen eighty-six sucked. Quit yeah. saying that. And that's just because they, they they counted the lead changes when they got to the finish line. If you counted all the ones in the hack, oh laps, man, if they'd have had loop oh, data oh, stats, loop data stats in nineteen eighty six, the pa- amount of just passes in this race is ungodly. And three wide, and I mean, it, three wide, four wide, yes. legitimately three and four wide. A lot of the race, go, just go watch this race. It is fun to watch. Point standings. Um, Dale Earnhardt now 251 points ahead of Daryl Waltrip. Bill Elliott now in third, minus 335. Allison, Bobby Allison, minus 342. Tim Richmond, minus 387. Then you have Rusty Wallace, Ricky Rudd, Harry Gant, Terry Labonte, and Jeff Bodine, the top 10 in points. Okay, Andy. So, what, um... Let's do our awards for the show. All right. Find them. Maybe I can find them. Uh, I don't know. Well, I don't have them on here. Well, well, we could we could do it from memory. What was your uh, uh, race? What do we usually do? Do you have a race rating? Race rating. What was your race rating? My race rating was a ninety because this race was freaking awesome. They were all over the place. Um, the only reason it's at a ninety is I'm hoping maybe there's better races this year than this. I maybe not. We'll find out. But this was an awesome race. Yeah, I mean, the Richmond race probably for me would I can't remember what I rated it. It might have been higher overall. But I mean, as far as a a race on a big track that's not Daytona or Talladega, you couldn't ask for anything better than this. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say 90, 92, something like that. What uh, entertainment factor? I I had to drop this one down to about 85 because of all the segments that, that took away from the it race. Took away from the race. Yeah. Usually yeah. you want that propping it up, but this this was one where you didn't need it. Yeah, maybe they thought since it was a new track, new surface, they was going to need the field time, but they didn't. No, but yeah, it was it was still an awesome race. Um, who was uh, what's Goody's Headache Powder Award winner? All right, uh, this one is a little bit different, but my Headache Powder Award thing goes to Richard Petty's crew member that dislocated his freaking knee, hmm. and they duct taped his leg together yes. and dragged him to the medical center. Yeah, they didn't even. I mean, I they could have put on. him on something or had the ambulance come to him, but nope. Let's duct tape your leg. And then we will let, let, help you get to the medical center while you hop on the other leg. Yes. Uh, I mean, honestly, I don't know if I could beat that. I'll, I'll pour, the poor guy, let's give it to him. Yeah. Um, critical moment. Critical moment. What was your critical moment of the race? The caution that caught Richmond just coming. He was either on pit road or just coming off a of pit road when they the caught him a lap down. Yeah. They got him a lap down to start with. Yeah, because he. I mean, he may not have won that race, but he was definitely one of the three or four. He was a contender. He was a contender. Um, I would say the critical moment would have been 
Um, man, I don't know. Maybe that last caution where Gant, if Gant wouldn't have had that caution, he thought he had better car on the long runs than Bill. And if they wouldn't have cooled down the tires, maybe he would have been able to hold him off. That's, uh, yeah, and it, it took out some competitors, too, at the same oh, time. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, yeah, it did that's, knock that's out a good one. three or four cars. Um, what was... Uh, Who's your driver of the race? I had to go with Gant. I mean, as far as driving, Elliot had the car to beat there at the end, but as far as driving the wheels off the darn thing and giving it his all and him hurt like that, I had to give it to Gant. Yeah, this is one race where, I mean, in 1985, Elliot dominated so many of the races that he would have been driver of the race most of the time. This is a race he wins, but he was like, he, he wasn't even thinking about Bill Elliott until the last hundred miles. He, he pulled a Kevin Harvick. He, yeah, he was like, to come where did he come from? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I will, I'll give it to Gant, too, because, I mean, racing with a reinflated lung and a bruised heart, coming home second, you can't do much worse than that. So, um, all right. We uh, appreciate everybody listening to our show. You you check our Facebook group out, Racing Through Time. Um, our show racing through time project at gmail.com. If you want to email us, I'm on Twitter at OPR word. Our show is on Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, Google play, Google podcasts. So we kind of got the show all over the place. Hopefully during this quarantine, as long as we don't, you know, drop dead of coronavirus, we will, uh, we'll try to have another show maybe next week. The Daytona firecracker 400 coming up. Yeah. We're going back Daytona. I mean, after this this race here at Michigan, I'm not sure Daytona can live up to the Michigan race. Yeah, and this is another thing you got to remember. We're watching the races as they come. We're not, you know, most of these, we were six years old. We don't remember details of not, them. So no. this is all new every time we watch it. Yeah, I mean, I don't really start remembering good detail, except Daytona 500s. I could remember them. But after that, you know, I was probably nine, 89, 90 before I could remember parts of different races and maybe who won but even then it still gets spotty now but yeah right here i didn't remember i didn't know bill elliott won this race yeah and i don't i never remembered all the three wide action back then i mean yeah you know you think of it now because they're all piled on top of one another but yeah this this race is actually what nascar would like the package i would imagine to look like at Michigan, yeah, they run now. Yeah, when you can go from the top line to the bottom line and not lose any momentum and still have a chance to pass, that's a good setup. It was a it was a fun race, so definitely go back and watch this one. Andy, any final thoughts before? Uh, we jump back into Corona Apocalypse. No, just uh, we joke about it because that's how we deal with things. But uh, all seriousness, everybody take care of yourself. So that way you can come back and listen to our foolishness again. Yeah, yeah. Well, well hopefully we'll be back with Daytona next week um, around the same time, you know, ne- around next weekend. So if you're listening to this on time, it's a Friday. So hopefully next weekend we'll have Daytona. Yes, yes, we will do our very best. All right, so for Andy Waddell, I am Ricky Wittenberg, and we have another Racing Through Time in the books.